We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. The Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. How, how many makers and cokes have you had? We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. Joining me, as always, is Justin Mello. And Justin, how are you doing now that we are here in the midst of June, the offseason? I'm doing well. We actually have a couple of things to talk about today, and that makes me happy because, it's, you know, it, it would be easy for us not to have a lot to talk about. Typically, a, a slow time of the year, but there are a couple of fun things to touch on today. Yeah, usually, well, I guess, yeah, we'll have more to talk about as long as OTAs and minicamp are going, and uh, which is, you know, through the middle of June. But then, you know, end of June, July, it's going to be tough till training camp. But we'll always come up with something to discuss. Today, we have a couple of signings to announce. We're going to do some updates on Julio Jones' watch, talk about where some former Titans have landed press conferences coming out of OTAs. We finally got our first chance to hear from Todd Downing and Shane Bowen with their new official titles. So we'll discuss what we heard from them. And then that will wrap us up for this week. And we'll get into what we can look forward to ahead. First and foremost, the Titans signed a couple of defensive linemen, Trayvon Coley and Avery Jones, Avery Jones, formerly of the Jacksonville Jaguars, um, beefing up the defensive line. They also cut a couple of guys, Dalen Mack and Julian Taylor, younger players, but bringing in these experienced vets to play on the D line. I don't know how much difference it's really going to make. These are rotational depth guys, but you know, better to have those beefy bodies in there than to not have them. Yeah. I think the interesting thing here is they, uh, they dropped two guys who don't have a ton of experience and signed two guys that have a lot of experience, you know, starting with Coley, uh, you know, 44 career games, you know, in, in four years, 31 starts under his belt, hundred career tackles, uh, played a lot on Cleveland a couple of years ago. So that's a guy with a lot of experience. Uh, and then getting to the other signing in Jones, another guy, eight seasons in Jacksonville. I mean, wow. He's, he's been there for a while, 105 career games, uh, 196 career tackles. So you bring in a guy with 100 career tackles, you bring in a guy with 200 career tackles. So uh, interesting experience here. Obviously, you know, this is one of those situations where, and not to sound rude, but they obviously saw Dalen Mack. Uh, they saw Julian Taylor quickly decided not worth investing any more time into these guys. Let's, you know, swap them out for a couple of D linemen with experience. That's what they did in getting both uh, Coley and Jones. Now, uh, it gives you a little more experience there. Right? You said it. It's not going to move the needle, you know, one way or another. But these are guys that, you know, obviously have a better chance at making the team, let's say, than a Dalen Mack or a Julian Taylor, right? And they obviously feel that way. Uh, more experience, you know, with guys like uh, Laurel Murchison and T.R. Tart, who are battling for spots, who obviously don't have a lot of experience under their belt. So it'll be interesting to see how that uh, D-line rotation plays out and who makes the 53-man roster. Yeah, and there's not a whole lot of depth there anyway to begin with. So I think all those points make sense, especially considering the timing of it. I made the joke in our group chat that it's the wrong Jones acquired <laughs> by the Titans, and Zach stole it and tweeted it from that Ford's account, and it was a good a good tweet, so good for Zach. And uh, anyway, in other news, signing news, the Titans have not re-signed Michael Pruitt. There was some 
some question about whether he would return to the team. He has signed with the San Francisco 49ers after working out for them. And Ty Smith, cornerback, signed with the Minnesota Vikings. But moving back to Pruitt, it's interesting because the Niners worked out a few tight ends. They worked out Michael Pruitt, and they also worked out another former Titan, Delaney Walker, who's also a former 49er before his time in Tennessee. And they chose to sign Michael Pruitt over Delaney Walker. Obviously, in their primes, there's no comparison between the two players. But Delaney Walker now, 36 years old, going to be 37 in a couple months. Obviously, the Niners felt like Pruitt was a better fit, you know, for right now. Obviously, he knows the offense because it's very similar to what the Titans run. And I bet he'll be, you know, utilized well behind George Kittle there. But any thoughts about, you know, any sadness on Pruitt? And and also, how are you feeling about Delaney Walker? <laughs> yeah, a couple of things on that quickly. First off, probably not a great sign, right, for, for the Delaney Walker fans uh, that they decided to sign Pruitt over him there in San Francisco. I mean, for all we know, Walker demanded a lot more money to come back, and maybe he's not worth coming back, uh, you know, for a vet minimum sort of thing. But, you know, un- unlikely, I-, I would think. This is more a situation where they probably – just thought Pruitt looked better right in the workout than Walker did. And that's not a great sign uh, for Delaney and his chances at making a comeback with Pru. Uh, I, I will say, look, we're so late into the game in terms of, you know, what is it? Third or fourth wave of free agency. You'd probably call it. I didn't expect him to be back in Tennessee. I don't think any of us did based on the fact that they still hadn't resigned him. Pretty obvious that that decision had already been made. What I will say is I'm a little surprised about the decision. Uh, to not bring him back. Uh, certainly, again, not by the timing of it, but just by this the, the decision in general. Because uh, really, the way I look at this is John Robinson, the Tennessee Titans, they chose Jeff Swain over Michael Pruitt. I think you'd probably agree. Both tight ends have very similar skill sets in the fact that they're both excellent run blockers, uh, but don't really move the needle much as pass catchers. So they re-sign Swain, they don't re-sign Pruitt. And that is a little interesting to me because I thought Pruitt did some really good work here uh, for several years in Tennessee. So curious to see how that plays out, which team ends up happier there. And and we'll find out what Swain does in Tennessee versus what Pruitt does there in San Fran. Uh, a, A little surprised on that one. Quick shout out to Ty Smith, by the way, because I I didn't touch on him. Quickly, Ty Smith was here for about three years. Uh, Keep up with a couple big fumble plates, right? Uh, Great guy on special teams, uh, forced a couple fumbles in big games, recovered a couple fumbles uh, in his Titans career. So shout out to him. Wish him nothing but the best of luck in Minnesota. All right. Yeah. Ty Smith, great special teamer, great tackler, had some good moments with the Titans, but they'll replace him now with some younger, better players. So it'll be all good. Um, All right. Let's move on now and talk about Julio Jones, because as I boldly predicted last week, the Julio Jones is still an Atlanta Falcon. Everyone thought he would be traded by June 1st, right after June 1st. I said, I don't know, man, this feels like it's going to drag out for a while. The thing is, the Falcons have no real incentive to trade him before training camp because they don't have to sign their they, their rookies are in minicamp right now. They're not signed yet, but they're in minicamp. They don't have to be signed to go to minicamp. They sign a waiver that says whatever they're have to sign away some rights or whatever. But as long as they're they're gonna if they trade Julio a few days before training camp, they can get their rookies under contract. Boom, right away. I mean, there's no rush for Atlanta to sign Julio if a player somewhere around the league gets hurt at a wide receiver position, a team could suddenly become much more desperate. But all that said, I mean, at this time last week, I said I thought there was about a 45% chance Julio was coming to the Titans. You said between 1% and 5% chance. I'm so pessimistic. There's been a lot more rumors since then connecting the Titans to this situation with people saying that 
the feeling around the league is that he will probably end up being traded to the Titans. So I want to get a reading on where you're at now. Has your percentage gone up? Yeah, it's definitely gone up. It's definitely not between one and 5%. I don't even remember saying that, but it sounds like something stupid I would say. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely I gone tweeted up. it. I clipped it and tweeted it. So oh, it's, man. It's definitely gone up. And a lot's changed over the last week, right? So much teams apparently dropping out. We hear the Rams are out. We hear the Ravens, I believe, are out. We hear the Patriots are probably out or, or not that serious about it. It's, it seems like the only team that's consistently connected is Tennessee. And we've heard some whispers on Seattle uh, as well. But, I mean, with DK Metcalf there and Tyler Lockett, and the way they love to run the ball, I mean, I just I don't really see that happening. I don't know what their cap situation is like, but I know it hasn't been great over the last couple of years. So imagine it's not very good. You probably know better than I do. But uh, Tennessee seems to be the only team that's consistently connected. Unless we get another team swooping in, a surprise team, which there could be. I mean, it's Julio Jones. Everyone should be interested. But from the teams that we've been hearing about, uh, Tennessee really feels like the only one that's that that's really in the thick of it still uh, from what yeah. we hear at least. Right. And I do think that Seattle is still firmly in the mix. Um, Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks on their podcast, move the sticks earlier this week, made a pretty good case for why Seattle would make, want to make this move even with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, Bucky Brooks talking about new offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron coming over from the Rams who ran a lot of 11 personnel you know, you throw Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, and Julio Jones out there in a three-wide receiver set, and that's pretty impossible to defend and would help open up their run game. We know Pete Carroll wants to run the ball. So there are reasons why it would make sense just from a pure theoretical perspective in Seattle. And I don't know how seriously they're really looking at this because they don't have a whole lot of draft capital going forward. They've traded a lot away to the Jets and uh, other picks. They've, they trade away picks. You know, they don't, they don't often value first and second round picks. They, they're trading them back and trading them away. So who knows what Seattle's looking at doing? I do think you're right. The Titans are the team that's been consistently mentioned. But if I had to predict how this would all play out, I would say the Titans end up being the team, but it takes a couple more weeks, if not months, to, to finally resolve. And right before it resolves, you're going to get some swooping in action from some random team like the Saints or somebody that we definitely don't expect. By the way, for the record, last year, this time of year, Clowney was between the Seahawks and the Titans. And uh, okay, it's just yeah. following the same pattern. I just want to put that out there. So the Saints would be the team to swoop in because that's who swooped in for Clowney. But I think what will happen is, you know, it's likely, you know, based on reading all these, all these reports, that the Titans have the largest offer on the table. And it's probably like a conditional fourth or a conditional third that could become a third or second, depending on how much or how well Julio plays. But the Falcons are holding out for a better offer. And I think the, the rumor is they want a first or maybe a hard second was something that came out earlier this week that they've maybe lowered their expectations. But I think what ends up happening is once other teams get a sense of the, a trade is actually going to go down, that means the price came down to whatever that trade's going to happen at. So then the other teams might swoop in and say, well, hey, what if we offer just a tiny bit more, not as much as you've been asking this whole time, and that's when, you know, you could get those rumors that like, so when this team has entered the mix for Julio Jones, watch out or whatever. So we still don't really have any firm reports, but it definitely feels much closer to like 75% Titans at this point. Yeah, not to pick apart what you said there or harp on one thing, but I'd be shocked if the Titans offer was like a conditional four 
that can turn into a three. I mean, talk about wasting your time. I can't imagine a world where Atlanta would even consider that. I, I can see, though, the second part of that, the Titans offer maybe being a conditional third that turns into a second. I can see that being the Titans version of playing hardball. Here, look, this is our offer, and perhaps they're waiting for a hard second. Uh, like you said, which I do think the Titans should offer, by the way. I've always been on that uh, bandwagon. Agreed. I'm still on that bandwagon. They should offer a hard second if that's what it takes to get it done. But uh, uh, insert a clapping sound, whatever. You said it would take longer. I said it would probably would have got done already. I'm a little surprised, a tad disappointed that it hasn't been done yet. I'm still holding Definitely. out hope that it doesn't drag out for several weeks or even months at that. I mean, that would be exhausting, I think, for all involved. Uh, but we'll see what happens. It obviously didn't get done as, as maybe as quickly as some of us. It's still early, right? I mean, it's still June 3rd we're recording this on, but uh, it hasn't been done, I guess, as quickly or as early as some of us thought it may. Yeah, and it'll be just our luck that it happens on Friday, June 4th, as soon as this podcast is published. But uh, no, that would, <laughs> that that would happen. Can I, can I say something real? You were, you were right about this, but because I hate being wrong, uh, didn't we have a, a little friendly wager before the draft, I think I said Joe Tryon would get drafted before Joseph Asai, and you were Team Asai. And then Tryon goes in the first round, uh, mm-hmm. and your boy Asai doesn't even doesn't even get go in the second. So yeah. we're one one in my eyes. And let me let me do a little bit more gloating. If you follow my work over on the Draft Network, it's still up. Mellow's predictive mock, my final mock for the Draft Network. The entire staff. Over at TDN, we dropped a mock. We all dropped mock drafts in the days leading up. I had Tryon 32nd to Tampa Bay. You know how hard it is to get the 32nd overall pick, right? In these mock drafts. So I got that one. Uh, Osai went in the third round, I think, to the Bengals, right around 69th overall, if I remember correctly. So you and I are 1 1 Graver, and this isn't over yet. And I had a friendly little wager with Zach too that Osai would go within 10 picks of Ojulari and he went 19 picks, I think, 19 or 20 picks after him. So I just missed on that well, as well. If Zach's probably going to listen to this because he loves us. I think he listens to us. He's our most loyal listener. We don't want to make him feel too good because while he was right about that one, I had a bet with Zach that said Elijah Moore and Rondale Moore, neither of them would get picked in the first round. Yeah, he, he said one of the Moors will go. One in of the, the first Moors. Round. That was it. One of the Moors. And he said, to be fair, he said this way back. I think it was either late February, early March. And I said, there's no chance in hell that one of the Moors are going in the first round. So he made think- a wager. I think Rondell Moore had more hype at the time than at the Elijah. Time, yeah. Just my luck. All Elijah started, and I, I love Elijah Moore as a prospect. If you listen to the show, you know that. I loved him. Uh, but as, as things got closer, we started to think Elijah Moore is going to go 22nd to Tennessee. So I got pretty nervous. I went from being very confident that I was going to win that bet to very nervous that I was going to lose it to actually winning it. That's what <laughs> happened. Zach had to change his display picture to something Canadian related. Go Canada. <laughs> Take that Zach bags milk for the win. Yeah. And uh, just for the record, I tweeted out a mock draft. The, I think the day of the draft. And I also had Joe Tryon going 32nd to Tampa Bay. So okay. suck on that. <laughs> you just copied mine. You probably read yeah, my mock. Said, this guy's brilliant. I'm just going to pick whatever he picked. there's a chance um yeah all right let's talk about the press conferences because otas practices are happening again thursday friday saturday of this week 
and the players are out on the field. It's cool to see videos of Des Fitzpatrick out there catching passes and Ryan Tannehill's at OTAs now. It's Kevin Byard, a lot of veterans that didn't show up to last week's voluntary workouts are at this week's, again, still voluntary workouts. So I wanted to talk about our first look at Shane Bowen and Todd Downing. They did Zoom press conferences with media, their first time answering questions. Any overall strong take? Let's start with Shane Bowen because he went first. Any overarching takeaways from what you heard, Shane Bowen? I have one that stands out that I think stood out to a lot of people, and you're, you're probably going to start off with it anyway. So I'll just turn it over to you. Yeah, there, and it's probably, I'm assuming you're right that it's going to be the same thing. One thing that really stood out to me is, and I don't want to get, you know, I don't want to blow it out of proportion and say it's contradictory, but when Mike Vrabel did a press conference a couple months ago, whenever, I think whenever Vrabel did his first conference after Bowen was officially named DC, of course, that was all the questions about him getting, finally getting the title, Bowen that is. Um, Vrabel kind of was super annoyed by the questions, played it off saying nothing changes. He was the DC last year. We gave him the title, blah, blah, blah. Now Bowen speaks and he made it sound like quite a bit changes, right? He said, it's my, you know, he said things like it's my defense. I put my stamp on it. Uh, he made it sound like quite a bit has changed with him getting it. So I found that very interesting because we were kind of all led to believe Bowen is the defensive coordinator. Let's not get caught up in titles, yada, yada. And while Bowen did call plays last year, I mean, that's the main thing a defensive coordinator does. It does sound like this is new a little bit and that this is different. So that I, I didn't see that coming. You know, when, when the Bowen press conference started, I tuned in, I was listening. That was the one thing that really surprised me is how, how much he made it sound like his duties and the job is different from what he did last year. Yeah. And I think that that's pretty encouraging actually. And at least in terms of when you look at continuity, because you don't really want too much continuity from what happened last year in terms of a coordination standpoint on defense. So, and he did mention that they're going to try a bunch of new things. He also said there'll be a lot of carryover from last year, but hopefully that carryover is only in things that worked <laughs> and not the third down defense and playing off coverage on third and short frequently and blitzing with off coverage so that you have no, no chemist, no harmony between what you're doing with your blitz packages and your coverage schemes that if you're going to force a quick throw, you got to get up on the receiver to be there to take away the quick throw. So it's hopefully those are the things that are changing, but I do think that it's encouraging at least in terms of the standpoint that like this wasn't the same thing they did last year. Promoting Shane Bowen is a change that hopefully it's the right change the defense needs, but it is a change. And he also talked about, you know, somebody asked if he, if they felt there were too many cooks in the kitchen with Jim Schwartz being added to the mix. And Bowen said he didn't feel that way at all. So you got Vrabel, who's been a defensive coordinator, defensive-minded head coach. You got Bowen, who's now the defensive coordinator, and officially. And you got Jim Schwartz, who spent many, many years as a defensive coordinator. And he said he doesn't think there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Obviously, what else is he going to say right now? You know, they just started working together. And even if things weren't going well, he's not going to say that right now to the media. But still, that's what you want to hear, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And one other quick point I'll mention on it. Uh, we, we may never know it, it, intricate details on how much really changed, uh, but he did, Bowen did talk about uh, now being able to walk around and, and spend time with the entire defense as opposed to he was just still spending time with the outside linebackers last year, which is really strange when we think about it, right? And I think me and you touched on this months ago in another episode, but we never, I, I don't know how none of us really brought up the fact how odd it kind of was to have your defensive play caller uh, pull double duty as the outside linebackers coach. 
And he's spending time with pretty much that position room exclusively, uh, almost is what he made it sound like right during practice. So he right. talked about now having an outside linebackers coach and he could spend time with the entire defense and he's the defensive coordinator. So uh, that was really weird. So I'm really glad they've taken that off his plate and he can do what he should be doing as the play caller, as the DC, which is overseeing the entire unit as opposed to just one position. And the last thing I'll say about Shane Bowen before we move on to Todd Downing here is that just overall outlook for the defense. I mean, you you got six new projected starters coming in. And in general, defensive volatility, defensive performance from year to year is one of the more volatile things you can look at in terms of year to year carryover. Offensive performance is a lot more stable year to year, but defensive performance often very volatile. It's why fantasy football players are advised to wait until the 15th or 16th round to draft your defense. Even if you think the bears are going to be really good every year, like defensive performance is extremely volatile. So hopefully the Titans improve. I mean, I would say there's as good a chance that they have a good year as they have a bad year. You know, it's not like they're just going to be good because they were bad last year, but I think that last year's performance isn't going to be very indicative of what we can expect this season, especially with all the roster turnover and hopefully, I mean, you have to hope a healthier year on hope a healthier year for the whole defense. I mean, so many secondary players injured last year and outside linebackers. Yeah. And, and he also talked about one thing I enjoyed uh, again about his conference. He talked about wanting to be more aggressive with their corners, right. And, yeah. and playing more man coverage. And, and that's something they should be doing. Look, they obviously didn't love their corner group. They completely swapped out their top three. I mean, how often does that happen, right? When you really think about it, Adoree gone, Malcolm Butler gone, Desmond King gone. Yeah. He didn't start the year as a top three guy, but he finished as one. Uh, Completely changed the room. So, uh, being Ty more Smith ag- was probably, I mean, Christian Fulton was four, but he only was available so, so little. That- Ty Smith gone, right? Yeah. Uh, who was the other one that was gone? Uh, Jonathan Joseph, midway through the season, gone. Five yeah. guys, right? Five corners gone. So, you really only brought back Christian Fulton, Breon Borders, and Chris Jackson, pretty much, right? And, and most of and those guys didn't really play last year all that much. So, uh, massive difference, massive difference in the room. They obviously thought it was an issue. They've addressed it their way. Uh, with with Caleb Farley, with Elijah Molden, with Janoris Jack Rabbit, with with hopefully getting Fulton more in the mix. Uh, they should play more aggressive. They should play more man coverage. Uh, I'm excited to see how this group gels and comes together. And that's something Kevin Byard talked about on Thursday too, was playing more aggressive. And you know, while we're touching on secondary turnover, Kevin Byard also said that he thought he and Imani Hooker were interchangeable as safeties. He didn't view them as free or strong safeties, either one. He thought that they were both interchangeable, which I think is probably true. I think Byard is probably better in the box, at least right now, than Hooker is. But I think that that's actually a, an accurate statement about the safeties that should help. Not that, I mean, Vicaro was that way too with Byard back there, but Vicaro had clearly lost a step by the end of the year. Hooker playing so well just another note of encouragement for what could be a much better year for the secondary. All right, let's talk yeah, about agree. Todd down. Oh, sorry. Do you want to agree? No, quickly? I agree with all due respect to Kenny Vaccaro. I think hookers obviously a, well, he's a, he's a younger player, obviously, which he's a little bit more dynamic, a little speedier uh, can probably do a bit more now, right. than Vaccaro could. So I like that thought. And I mean, you've touched on that, right. That they're interchangeable. You can do some things with them. Maybe Bayard plays more in the box now because yeah, he couldn't play as much in the box previously because you, you almost had to have Vaccaro in there, right? With him losing uh, losing a step, you had to have him down there. With Hooker, things change completely. It could be a little bit more free-flowing, a little more interchangeable, and I love that idea. Right. All right, Todd Downing, what stands out to you about anything that Todd Downing said on Wednesday? 
Yeah. And if you, if you listen, you're going to have the same thing that, you know, the, the same point that I have, because when I was listening, it was the one thing that really stood out to me and, and everyone tweeted the same quote. Um, when they talked about taking over for Arthur Smith uh, and, and trying to follow in his footsteps, of course, such a great job that Arthur Smith did here in Tennessee, Downing said, which was by far my favorite quote of the entire press conference, he said, I'm not, and, and I'm paraphrasing, but uh, I'm not so concerned with putting Todd Downing's spin on it as I am making sure that we have the right ingredients, uh, you know, for the mix that we have here. Uh, I love that. You know, it's, it, it, it's, it, it sounds straightforward and it should be simple, but it's not always that way. And I can promise you that NFL coaches typically have egos. Yeah. They're egotistical. They come in, they want to do, they don't care if the last person was successful. I run the show now. We're, if I'm going down, I'm going down. At least we did it my way, right? That's typically the line of thinking. And look, Todd Downing could be fooling us all. He could be a great actor. We don't know him that well yet. We won't know until <laughs> they hit the field week one against the Cardinals. And probably even beyond that, probably takes a couple of weeks, right? To get a yeah. real good feel uh, for what the Todd Downing offense is going to look like. But I would like to think, and, and I do think, uh, that he was telling the truth. That look, he, he's not coming in. Uh, he, he, you know, he's not going to flat out say it, but he doesn't have to reinvent the wheel. You know, of course, there are some challenges with losing Corey Davis, losing Jonu Smith, maybe a guy like Adam Humphreys changing up your right tackle. But you know, you, you've you've got your quarterback in Ryan Tannehill, and he, by the way, he talked about having a great relationship with Tannehill, and I really enjoyed that. So he's got a background as a QB coach since he's been in Tennessee. He's always gone along well with Tannehill, and now that's only going to take another step. Loved hearing that. You've got the king. You know what you have at running back. He said it himself. He, he chuckled when asked about Derrick Henry. He goes, yeah, as an offensive yeah. coordinator, uh, feels good to have him, right, as opposed to having him somewhere else. So you know what you have in your running back. You know what you have in your O-line. It's the same group pretty much, uh, give or take, that it's been for several years now. The offense, you, the schemes, you know, the schematically, you've seen how it works. You've coached the tight ends. Arthur Smith was a tight end guy who stepped into the OC role. You're doing the same. He doesn't have to reinvent the wheel. You know, he really doesn't have to. Of course, he talked about minor tweaks and adjustments, but saying that was more of a year-to-year thing. You know, if Arthur Smith was still here, it would slightly change, right? Because things progress, and that's what happens year-to-year. I think he's telling us the truth. We're going to see the same thing here. They're not going to try to fix what ain't broken. Uh, he does have a couple more challenges, and we'll get into that in a second. But I was I was blown away with the Todd Downing press conference. I really was. I loved it. Yeah, I think, you know, overall, both guys really gave off a good impression. And something about when he talked about being the tight ends coach was talking about how to utilize Anthony Ferkser and Jeff Swaim in a way that won't, you know, telegraph what the offense is trying to do. And I thought his answer there was great about being the tight ends coach and working with, you know, Ferkser on his blocking and Swaim on his ability to catch the ball and run routes. And I think that, you know, we're going to see those little those plays with those that play action bootleg where Swaim is lined up in line and he fakes like he's blocking and he, he peels out and he's right there in the flat to catch a quick little dump off while Tannehill's like booting into the, you know, out to the, towards the sideline, that kind of little play that we've seen a million times. And I think you, you, Ferkser is going to have to learn to be a better blocker and, you know, who knows, maybe the Titans make an addition at tight end here at some point, but I, I don't really expect that to happen. And one other thing that I talking about some of the challenges that he's going to face is, you know, assuming that, that, you know, right now the Titans don't have Julio Jones. So just looking at the roster as is that challenge that we've all set, set it as people watching this team and fans on Twitter say it all the time, like, well, AJ Brown's going to get doubled all the time now. Cause there's no other receiving threats. And it's like, well, the, the offensive coordinator knows to expect that also. It's not, you know, it's not 
like some crazy secret that they're just going to go out there and hope that teams don't double AJ Brown. Like they're going to be ready for that. And he talked about ways that he can try to get AJ Brown in single coverage, moving him around a little bit. And I think that's a, a place where Todd Downing might actually have a leg up on Arthur Smith as, as great as Arthur Smith was here. And as amazing as he did with this offense, considering where it came from and he was spent a lot of time here, but he never really spent time here under anybody that had a stud receiver because the Titans never ever really ever had a stud receiver, you know, since Derek Mason, really. So having an AJ Brown and, and Todd Downing was with Amari Cooper in Oakland and he spent time with like knowing how to feed a number one receiver in the right way and getting him open. And I think that we could see something interesting there that we didn't see in the past with, you know, Arthur Smith or any, or Mike Malarkey or anybody because Nobody's really coached that kind of stud receiver in Tennessee yet. Now, I'm glad you brought up those two points about the tight ends and about A.J. Brown, because I wanted to touch on those two things. It might be the last discussion of this episode, but while Downing, I think, said all the right things there, I, I did like his answers on both topics. The challenge in itself, as the roster stands, it's challenging. <laughs> it's challenging because – he talked about the tight ends not tipping your hand. And while I love the answer and I love that in theory, is Anthony Ferkser all of a sudden going to turn into a great blocker at 26 years old? Yeah. Right. That that's my question about that is even, even, even a bigger question I have is Jeff Swain going to turn into a real big time, legitimate pass catcher at 28 years old. He'll be 28. Well, I, don't, uh, I don't think he has to. I don't think anyone. No, I, I don't think you're right. I don't think he has to, of course not, but I, that's not what I mean. But my point is you talk about the offense tipping their hand. You can say that all you want, but in order for them not to tip their hand, Furtzer has to be a better run blocker than he's been. Or than they've even, I can't even say that he's been. They never really asked him to do it. He's got to be a better run blocker than we think he is. Right. Or than they think he is. Because if they thought he's a great run blocker, they would have asked him to do it on occasion. So yeah. in order for that answer to come true, we don't want to tip our hand offensively to the tight ends. They got to do everything. Well, in order for that to come to fruition, Anthony Furtzer's got to be a better blocker than, than he's been. And Jeff Swain has to be a, at least a little bit better of a pass catcher, right? Probably yeah. than he's been. So that is a big challenge. And on the AJ Brown front, I, I actually think the tight end thing is more challenging with Brown. Like you, you, know, you can move a guy around, right? You can move him around, find ways to get him one-on-one. -on -one. What you can't do is force Anthony Furkser to be a great blocker or force Jeff Swain to be a great, pa a great pass catcher. So I, I love the answers, but uh, it, it's not to say, you know, with the answers, it's not like that's already been that question's already been properly answered because we need to see it on the field. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's definitely and it may true. not be Downing's fault. Don't get me wrong; it doesn't ultimately right. land. If it fails, it's not because Downing failed. They just might not have the they might not have the tight ends to not tip their hand offensively. You're you're not gonna, if Anthony Furtzer is run blocking every play and he's getting blown up and it's terrible, then you probably rather tip your hand offensively than getting blown up at the line of scrimmage every play. But but with that said, and, and I think we got to make a point, I don't want to contradict myself, but on Furkser, you know, everyone, we're all talking about him blocking. He doesn't have to be a world beater. Let's get that out of the way, right? He doesn't have to be the best block. He doesn't have to be Anthony Fasano, Sal Fasano that they had here. He doesn't have to be the best blocking tight end in NFL history. He just kind of got, he's, he's got he's to kind of get in the way a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the, um, you know, Speaking of that, I think you're right. You know, it's not Todd Downing's fault. It's it's the way the roster is constructed right now. It's not just the lack of tight, you know, versatile tight ends. It's also the wide receiver depth as the roster stands now until Julio Jones comes. But um, PFF, 
PFF put out their ranking uh, all 32 team ranking all 32 receiving corps ahead of the 2021 season. And the Titans came in at 29th on their list. Um, and in their little blurb, they said something like the Titans are taking a big risk here with, uh, with having so few reliable options behind AJ Brown. And I just, I think that wording is funny and wrong because take to say that they're taking a big risk would imply that like there's some reward to be gained. Like you take a big risk uh, by, by trading for Julio Jones because, you know, he could get hurt, but if he doesn't, then he could be, you know, a Hall of Fame receiver. That's a risk that, you know, there's no risk right now the way the Titans have their receiving core assembled. It's just a bold move to go with only A.J. Brown there and say, we can do this, it'll be fine. Like if A.J. Brown gets hurt, you know, that you can put a bow on the season, I almost feel like, so. I just think it's funny. It's not a risk, but yeah, back to your point, Todd Downing, it's not necessarily his fault when, you know, all, all he's been given to work with is AJ Brown and Josh Reynolds and Des Fitzpatrick. Right. But until Julio comes. Until Julio comes and until next time, I think that probably does it uh, for this episode, but a quick recap. We love the press conferences. We love what they're saying. Now they got to go out and do it and they got to go out and trade for Julio. Julio. Yeah, I already made a video and that's the intro. So <laughs> I already made a video. You guys will never see it unless the Titans trade for Julio Jones. So they better do it because honestly, it's one of the best ones I've I've ever made. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us. Thanks for tuning in to the Music City Audible. Be sure to check out broadwaysportsmedia.com. I believe you in a few weeks will have some interviews running with the Titans undrafted free agents. So stay tuned for that. Look out for it. And be sure to find us on Twitter. Justin is at Justin M underscore NFL. I am at Titans Film Room. Follow us on Twitter. I just said that. Stay tuned until next week. We'll be back to continue recapping more OTAs. And uh, we're almost out of those, but uh, we all have, well, a few more next week. Maybe some press conferences to talk about. Maybe a trade will go down between now and then. But frankly, I don't expect it. Do you? What do you think? By this time next week, is Julio Jones a Titan? I'm going to say no. At this point, it feels like it's probably going to drag out a bit longer, but I hope I'm wrong again. Yeah, I do too. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm amped and excited for it. I just, expectations are slightly different, but I do expect eventually Julio will be a Titan. All right, that'll do it until next week. You guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway sports media production. 